and welcome to episode 24 of After the Breach podcast. We're your hosts, Jeff and Sarah, coming to you from back home on San Juan Island, Friday Harbor, Washington. We're glad to be home, huh? Definitely. I mean, I miss Western Australia, don't get me wrong, but it's been nice to be back out on the water here with some familiar fins. Absolutely. It's been incredible on the water here uh, in February. Yeah. And as we're gearing up towards our 2024 season, which kicked off this last weekend, and we'll be sharing some recent sightings and some some of the things we saw at the end of the episode, we are going to do a special FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions episode here today. So a lot of you have written in with questions recently and kind of over the span of time we've been releasing episodes, and we've been talking about doing one of these for a while, so we thought we'd sit down and actually do that in uh, advance of the bulk of the 2024 season. So hey, Jeff. Hey, Sarah. We're also going to talk about recent sightings because we have been out on the water. We have started running tours. And uh, it's been pretty, pretty epic. Did you say that? I just said that. <laughs> well, <laughs> now you now you see what I live with every single day. I'll say something and, you know, 30 seconds later, Jeff's eyes light up and he says the exact same thing. If, so. it, yeah. If you haven't been out on the boat with us, uh, you haven't seen that in action. If you have been out on the boat with us, you know that I, I do listen to Sarah. It's just sometimes. <laughs> We'll get a percentage-wise after this season. I'm going to start keeping track. So, all right, we're we're going to do FAQs and then uh, recent sightings. Apologies for my lack of attention there. I'm just trying to keep. Uh, I, we have a, a cat here who is cat cat visiting to, in the studio, trying to play with the microphone. So we're going to kind of break this down into two parts. The first part is going to be kind of geared towards questions about whale watching in the Salish Sea. We have some kind of frequently asked questions from guests that are, you know, or potential guests that are wanting to come out and join us. And then we'll get into some of the other questions that people sent in about the whales, about Jeff and I ourselves. And we unfortunately won't get in, be able to get to every single question on this episode. But if you sent them in, I have written them down and, and I will try to get to them in a, in a second uh, FAQ episode here later. And if you haven't sent in questions, but you do have some, we're probably going to end up doing another FAQ episode. So send them in either through Instagram or our Facebook page or our email address. You can find them all on our website after the breach podcast.com and in the show notes and in the show notes. So yeah, please, you didn't miss out. If you didn't send a question in, keep them coming. Cause we'll, we'll probably do, we're definitely going to do an, at least one more of these and then, uh, who, who knows? knows? Well, we might do tons more. But yeah, questions about <laughs> us, questions about whale watching, questions about the whales. Well, uh, Jeff, if you're ready, let's dive right in. So questions about whale watching uh, here in the Salish Sea, just to start with. And I think one of the big ones that we get, you and I both kind of work both on the water and on the reservation side of things. So I get this one a lot. I know you get this one a lot. Is time of year is the best time of year to go whale watching in the Salish Sea? It is definitely uh, by far the most common question that we get. And it's a complicated answer, but it's also very simple. There are whales here uh, year round. Every single month of the year, we have a chance of seeing whales. And here's where it gets complicated is it doesn't mean that we see whales every single day of any given month. Right. Um, There's no way to predict that they're wild animals moving hundreds of miles in 24 hours right so there there are non non-whale days there are non-whale parts of days but as far as best time of year 
really it's and this is driven more by weather than by whales it's march through november i know somebody had emailed in and asked about chances of seeing whales in august and we started keeping more detailed numbers last year's season and we were a hundred percent in august of last year every single tour that we ran and i think we ran three three to five tours a day in august and we saw whales on every single trip in the month of August. Now that doesn't mean that we saw killer whales on, on every trip. We did see Biggs killer whales on 86% of our tours. Uh, we saw humpbacks on 37% of our tours. And some, some of those tours saw both killer whales and humpbacks. But we saw a species of whale. It was either humpbacks or killer whales or both on every single tour over the month of August. But it's not that August is the best month because we also saw whales 100% of our tours last November. Sept- yeah. September was 99%. June, July were 98%. May was 91%. March and April are in the mid 80s. Yeah. And we've been out twice so far in February and, and we're, we're 100%. 100%. 100%. Yeah. So you really like the, the, it's an outlier to not see whales. It does happen and it, it's unfortunate that it happens, but they're wild animals and they travel, you know, it is unlike if you listen to the Bremer Bay episodes where they go out to a hotspot here, they could be anywhere uh, or nowhere at all. Or we could have yesterday, there were, I think, three different groups of bigs. There was a humpback and there were Southern residents all in different places. Uh, so as far as best time of year, I mean, the, the weather is, is probably nicest July through September, but we get beautiful days in the spring and our November tours are a lot of fun. And to be fair, the last two days, though cold. That They're beautiful. Stunning lighting. It's yes. so, so best, beautiful out there. Some of the best lighting of the year are in the, the shoulder seasons. So just a real quick backup. Uh, so the you know, listener that wrote in and asked about the likelihood of seeing whales from Victoria in August, obviously, you know, it's very, very high. Um, that will always, of course, depend on you know, who you're going with, what the range is of those boats and that kind of thing. So just, you know, there's a lot of different factors at play, but your chances are good in August. And I just have to comment, my cat Sunday is very into this episode because she is all over my <laughs> microphone. <laughs> she is. So kind of piggybacking off of best time of year, probably the second most common question I get uh, is best time of day. And we also had a question from a listener that was what time of day are they most active? And that's another one we get quite a bit with people calling in for reservations as well. So maybe we can split this one into two. What's the best time of day to go whale watching? And is there a time that the whales are most active? So uh, for my opinion, what I tell people a lot, best time of day, you don't have, there's no better time of day in terms of your chances of finding whales. And there are many, many, many days where we have whales in the morning and in the afternoon and many of those times it's different whales it's different groups of of families that we'll have in the morning and the afternoon we'll certainly have different behaviors and then there are days where we have them in the morning and they're gone by the afternoon or they weren't found in the morning and they were found in the afternoon but they're really there's no better time of day in terms of finding whales and then in terms of what when they're most active uh, it's it's a two-part answer from from my part and that is their behavior is not tied to time of day. Uh, so they can be really active in the morning. They can be really active in the afternoon. They could be active in both. They could be sleeping in both. 
the other part of that answer is sleeping whales are incredibly beautiful. That's one to of my see. favorite behaviors yeah. really to, to see, to witness because they're coming up all together in such a tight group. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's incredible to see. And you know, a lot of trips will get out there and they'll be sleeping. And then it's not like me. That's like, all right, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to stretch out. I'm going to make a cup of coffee. I'm going to look, you know, check the news that like when they wake up, they're up. Yeah. Yeah. And so you can see a, a behavior shift. Those are the best trips I think is when you actually see behavior shifts during your time with whales. Yeah. And that's the nice thing about running these longer trips as well. You know, most of our trips are four hours or so, and we get the chance to see, to give it time. And sometimes behaviors don't change because they're engaged in one behavior, like our trip, you know, two days ago where they were hunting a sea lion the entire time. But a lot of times those trips were out there and we get to see those shifts in behavior and see multiple behaviors, sometimes all of the behaviors. Um, And it's just really cool to have that time to let things kind of evolve naturally as they would and just be present and in the moment and watching these things happen. And then there are times where we, we go and, and they're sleeping and, and we get some really beautiful looks at them. And then we leave and we go check out some other stuff. Sometimes we go see a humpback or sea lions and then, and then we come back and things have completely changed. Mm-hmm. All right. So best time of day, any time of day. What I usually tell people too is if you're asking because you're wondering about your schedule Best time of day is whatever time of day it works for your schedule. I do want to add one component to that. Mm-hmm. Um, Go for it. And that is the later tours. We have we have half day tours that in, in the peak season go out at 3.30 and 4.30 on, on each boat. And I, I will say for people that are into photography. Yes, absolutely. That lighting in the a- late afternoon. Second to none. Yeah, especially in the Pacific Northwest, that late afternoon lighting is incredible. Yeah. And let me piggyback on top of that. Now that you said that it kind of jogged my memory is a lot of people when they're asking about the best time of day, they come into it with this um, knowledge from other places around the world of going whale watching where the morning is best because in the afternoon, the winds pick up and conditions deteriorate. And that's really a thing that we see out on the coast of the open ocean. And we're over a hundred miles inland from the open ocean. So we don't actually usually see, at least in most places and most of our range, we don't see that deterioration in conditions in the afternoon. So you're not going to be out there in rougher water just because you're out there in the afternoon here. It really can be beautiful all day long and is, is often beautiful all day long. And the great thing about the Salish Sea in geography terms is that even if there's one area that is very windy that day. A lot of times there are places where it's very lovely and we can get to. Some of our, our my favorite trips are those late trips with that lighting. It's Oh, mine too. It, it's, it's, it's also quieter out there. A lot of the recreational boaters are, during the, the peak summer months, the recreational boaters have, have gone home. And, and yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, the, the weather is usually really nice. Uh, there's always, always places we can go. And we've had some amazing late trips. But yeah, in the last few years, it seems like people are gravitating towards the morning. Come out in the afternoon. Come out. Really? It is, it is our, our favorite time. Uh, hands down. Yeah. I mean, it, obviously, you know, families with young kids, it's, mm-hmm. it's a lot easier for them to go in the morning. It's sure. harder to go like, you know, from 430 to 830 or 330 to 730 can be a, a challenge sometimes. But, you know, sometimes kids are really into it and, and you know. It is our favorite time. And then kind of 
I'm going to piggyback right off that one. I'm just going to piggyback my way through all these questions here. But we were talking about conditions and how here it's not similar to other places in the world where we get this kind of deterioration in conditions. But one of the most frequently asked questions that we get is seasickness. Do I need to worry about seasickness? And we had someone ask, Jeff and Sarah, do you ever get seasick? So let's answer this in two parts. Uh, seasickness, is that a big deal here? Yeah, it, it really, it's individual. It depends. It, we don't get it as much as, uh, for example, Bremer. The Bremer uh, <laughs> yeah, those trips, I think every single trip that we were on, somebody and often many people get seasick on those trips. And to be fair, we're out in, you know, two to three meter swell with waves on top. So it's, it's big, it's big water. And that swell, that rolling ocean swell is what gets a lot of people. Yeah. Which we do not have here in the inland For the most part. For the most part, we do not, a couple places where we go, if we go like out West, but for the most part, we don't get the big swell. Uh, The other driver of seasickness is not being in view of, of land. And Mm -hmm. we are always in sight of some shoreline somewhere. Mm -hmm. So Without those two things, the vast majority of people have no problem. Yeah, I would say I really like I probably have I can probably count on one hand the number of people I have seasick on my tours throughout the year here. And it it really is dependent. Some people might not feel great, like they might feel a little bit off, but they're not throwing up or anything like that. So I, I usually caution people who ask if, you know, motion sickness is something that you experience in the car then you might want to take something. If it's something that you've experienced out of Depot Bay or Monterey Bay on those big rolling ocean swells and you kind of didn't feel great at the end of the day, then you're probably going to be fine here. So, But if you're worried about it, take, take something, take something um, at least an hour or more before the trip. Yep. Uh, once, you know, once you're out there, it's, it's too yeah. late to take it. As soon as you're on the boat, it's really not going to help that much. So, And we do have ginger you know, candies on the board, on the boat. And if that's, you know, if you'd prefer a more natural route, um, ginger can help. There's acupressure bands as well. So there's different remedies and, and preventatives for it. Here's something else. And if anybody has any info on this, I'd love to know. So send us an email. We oh, did yeah. have somebody out this weekend who was starting to not feel great. And he put his um, earbuds in and started listening to music. And he said he felt better right away. Very so interesting. Don't know if there's anything to that, but if anybody knows info on why that would be or if that was just you know maybe it was just a a mental thing but uh who knows so second part of that question is do we get seasick and for the most part no and thank goodness it would be a miserable job if i got seasick yeah i have never uh personally been seasick uh i once or twice i think i may have been like a little bit like acid reflux mm-hmm. uh, in Bremer. I, for the m- most of the time we were there, I was taking uh, motion sickness remedies case, uh, like know. an hour before yeah. we left in the morning, just cause I didn't want to spend the whole day out there seasick, but I don't know if I needed it. I've been in big water before, yeah. both in the crossing on the silver bank and I was sailing in the Bahamas. The crossing from Miami to the Bahamas was pretty big. I've been in, in some big water. I haven't been in like the Drake Passage or anything right. like that. But I've ne- I've never had an issue personally. And I have been seasick, but it's it's very rare. And so usually for me, what happens is one time I had a concussion, so that didn't help. And then I went out on the boat, and you know, within a couple of days. So I did 
get nauseous, but I did not throw up. And like after I've had a migraine, you know, usually within a day or so of that, um, I'll, I'll take something just to kind of help prevent anything from happening. But if I've had a bad headache or, or a head injury, um, then yes, I, I have been seasick, but I think just two or three times. So usually I don't need to take anything and I'm, it's pretty good. Thankfully, very, very grateful all the time for that. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't look fun. All right. And next question. What if it rains? Do the whales still come out when it rains? I joke with people and say they're, Me too. they don't like to get wet. Oh, I joke and say they sneeze more because <laughs> the water gets in their blowholes. But they have to <laughs> breathe. They do come up. One of the things that I point out to people is the weather that's going on above the surface of the water and even at the surface of the water. The whales really don't care about. They are living most of their life underneath the surface and they don't care if it's raining or if it's sunny. That doesn't change their behavior in any way. And I don't know if the surface, like the waves, change their behavior in any way either. And if it does... Maybe they just lift their head up a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, we have this idea that, oh, they must love calm water because we love calm water and i've been Mm -hmm. out i I remember a very specific trip that i was out where it was glassy seas i mean just flat calm Uh, but then when you got further the further south you went it started to build and we had whales that were in you were there. You this were out was like of, one of the first trips on J one, wasn't it? It was. It we was had like it was like four to six footers down at like Eastern. It was or that something. same area, and you were on. I think I can't remember if you was, were on the same boat or if you were on one. No, of the I other was boats. with you and Spencer. Um, no, I'm thinking of a different, oh, okay. a, a different trip. But I know you were out there, and the whales were surfing in four plus footers, and literally less than a quarter mile away from them, it was flat calm, and they kept like angling up to the flat calm water and as soon as the water started to change they turn back around and go surf <laughs> yeah and i'm driving i'm like come on guys get go in the calm water and they never did yeah and it started building so much so much that we had to leave and yeah. we got some good time with them and it was cool to watch them surf uh but they're built for big water beyond what we are yeah i remember well, the one I was thinking of was like when we first got J1. I remember that one. And you and Spencer were on and I, I tagged along and it was the 65 A's. And it was like another captain was like, oh, it's two like two footers down here. And it was like six footers. Yeah, it was um, that was big water. And, and they were surfing down the waves. Yep. And that was actually a day that I did feel a little queasy. I'm not going to lie. And, and I think we had 15 people on board and we only had one person that got sick. And she said it was the best day of her life. Yeah. They, they were cool whales. So weather doesn't bother them. It doesn't change their behavior. We go out when it rains. The only thing that would potentially keep us off the water really is wind. Uh, is wind. And and like maybe once in 10 years of fog, you know, like we've had some foggy days where it's just never, never lifted. But yeah. one, one year rare. we did have to cancel a few for fire, for, for smoke. Oh, from, yeah. From the, um, oh, and we had a one um, electrical storm. <laughs> yes. But very rare. Um, the biggest biggest thing is wind. Yeah, we don't have to cancel a lot mm-hmm. of tours. And I would say between May and mid-November. It's really rare. Very rare. It happens, but it's not often. Yeah. And I think one of the last ones I'm, we maybe will address about specifically about whale watching here um, is I caught one 
on Instagram, a great one and one we get a lot. Uh, do you allow pets on board? And I wish we did, but we don't. We don't really allow pets on board. It's a small boat. We have a small group, and it's you know kind of intimate. And so we, you know, one don't know how pets are going to handle being on a boat. We don't know how they're going to handle being, it, being with, with a whales. bunch of strangers. And with strangers, we don't know how people feel about animals, um, allergies, allergies, etc. So, but you th- never know how an animal is going to react out there. Yeah, especially for four hours. And, and so, and it's it's just really difficult. There's a lot of great places on the island that offer pet sitting, uh, animal in, and there's a few different people that uh, individuals that offer it. So if you're you know interested in coming out, but you have a furry friend that you would like to make sure is well taken care of, just let us know. We're happy to put you in touch with them. The exception to that, of course, is registered service animals. So if you're a, a service dog for disability, you're you know, we, we have had those on board and we're happy to welcome them. Well, that kind of finishes up uh, like the main questions we get for whale watching, but we got a lot of others. So, And if you have more that we didn't cover, remember, get our email address or Instagram or Facebook off of our website, afterthebreachpodcast.com and send in your questions. Yes, definitely. And we are running tours uh, starting March we 1st. We're going to be running every day. Right now yep. we're just running weekends. March or if you have a big coming. group, or if you have a big group, we'll yeah. we'll add a trip. But it's we're already getting some epic stuff that we'll talk about shortly. So as we kind of segue into talking generally about the whales themselves and about potentially ourselves as well, um, one of the things that comes up here, Jeff, and I know that you have a great answer to this, and I can talk about this as well, is we get a lot of people visiting the islands that hear from locals. There are no whales here. It's unfortunately common, um, and sadly, there are people that have lived on the island that have never seen whales. So, yeah, can you you want to talk about that? Yeah, and I think this is really in response mostly to the changes that have happened over the last 15 years when it used to be like May through September, you'd see southern resident killer mm-hmm. whales on the west side of San Juan Island, not daily, but on many days uh, throughout the summer, and on, some, on many of those days, they're just going up and down the island, doing the West Side Shuffle. Uh, That has changed, and uh, if you've listened to the podcast on previous episodes, uh, you've heard us talking about throwing out the the book on Southern residents from their historic patterns, and they're not here very often in the inland waters like they used to be from May through September. And in response to that, a lot of the islanders who know that the southern residents aren't being seen just have gone to the extreme of, well, there if there are no whales on the west side of San Juan Island... There are no whales here. There are no whales here. And it's... I, I would have to say, I bet that we see killer whales more often now than we did 10 or 15 years ago because of the drastic increase of the number of big killer whales and the drastic increase in their days of presence in the Salish Sea and the increase in the number of humpbacks in the Salish Sea. Yeah. I would bet that there are more whales here now than there were when the thought was, oh, there are whales here every day. Sure. And now the reality is there pretty much are whales here every day. And you mentioned humpbacks. So this is another thing that kind of goes along in the same vein as uh, there are actually people that come out here specifically to see humpback whales, and you mentioned that kind of 
maybe it was actually on our tour that the late fall tends to be the best best time to see humpback whales here. There were no humpback whales, and we talked about this in in previous episodes, one with Tasley pretty early on about the humpback whale comeback here. And so we get people that call and they're like, oh, we were told that there are no humpback whales here or that uh, one I even had said, no, they're only here in April or May. So humpback whales, you know, yeah, historically we're not here. As I grew up here, we never saw really humpback whales. Um, I didn't really expect to see humpback whales on a regular basis. And now we have them, you know, I would say May through December, Yes, May, May through regular, December is, is a regular uh, occurrence to see them on our tours. And if you want more details, we did have one of our early episodes. We talked with Tasley Shaw about... Uh, there, you, there you go again. What? Did you just say this? <laughs> yep. <laughs> this is just proving a point to our listeners that you don't listen to me at all, even when we're doing a <laughs> podcast. So all good. I do listen. I listen. I, I do. All right, yeah, so go check out that episode if you want more details. But yeah, it I would say our, our highest percentage months for humpbacks are September through December. All right. And really like But we see them a lot the it, starting in May. Humpback mm-hmm. encounters we get out west. Yes. And those months are just they you know, that that's what we look forward to when we go out on the water is those days we're able to get west to the humpback whales. So Yeah, if you're if you are keen on humpbacks and that's what you really want to see. So we can see them May through December on our on our tours. But if that's really what you're shooting for, I would shoot for uh, the fall months, late August through December. But look at some of our all-day tours in August and September because if we can, we try and, and weather depending, get out west if there are aggregations going. But those are the best months for humpbacks. They are. They are. But back to the original question. Yeah, we do hear from a lot of people and we'll get people that are booked and they come out and they'll say we weren't expecting to see whales because people told us there are no whales here. Uh, And so it is interesting. There are whales here just about every day. Yep, there are. And one, thanks for booking, even believing you weren't going to see whales. And two, we're happy to happy to show you them. So, yeah, our, our lowest percentage month of whale sightings on our tours was for last year was March and it was 85%. And I bet you we beat that this March based on what's already going on. All right. I'm going to knock on wood right now because Jeff likes to, (laughs) but every, every other month was at at least 90% or greater. All right. Yeah, no, we, we had a great, I mean, it's been great. It's always good, but it was really impressive seeing the numbers. So, and that's I don't want to shortchange the other wildlife that's out there because no. spring is is a great time. Spring and fall for wildlife can be. I mean, summer too, but midsummer with all the pups, the harbor seal pups, harbor seal pups, and the puffins. Yeah, so there's always great wildlife year round. It just changes throughout the year, so that's why you should come back multiple times throughout the year. Well, let's dive into some questions from listeners that we got on Instagram, and one is from our friend Jed. Uh, who we haven't seen for a while and we miss dearly. Yeah, he's due for a visit. And Jed Jed's, uh, has been coming out for years with us, and he is a T-46 magnet. He is. So <laughs> Every time he's here, we see the, the 46s. Jed asked several questions, and I actually think that some of the questions you asked, Jed, are going to be ones that we're going to do with future episodes on because they are questions that we got from a couple other people. 
So I'm going to... Great questions too. Yeah, great questions. But one I really loved and... Well, I like them all, but one I really loved and I love Jeff's answer to it. So your question was, if you spent a summer on the west side of San Juan Island in the 17 to 1800s, how many days are you seeing residents? I, I bet you it's most days. And when Sarah and I were talking about this before recording, my answer was, I've thought about this a lot. And... If I had a time machine, the number one time and place that I would go is to the west side of San Juan Island in like the 13 or 1400s. And I don't know that I would leave. I would definitely, I'd need to bring somebody with me. <laughs> yeah, survivalist. Yes. Um, and I, because because also think about humpbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, there would be a, probably a lot of humpbacks. And the salmon. Yeah. What you would see running up Harrow Strait between killer whales, humpbacks, salmon. And I, I bet you'd see a lot of bigs too and, and marine mammal, other marine mammals. I'm sure. I, yeah, probably prior to the 1700s when we kind of had the fur trade going on. So, you know, 15, 14, like you said, 13, 13 14, 1400s. 15, yeah, I built a little cabin on the west side and... I, I don't know that there's anywhere else I would ever want to go at like time or place. Yeah. All of the like survival logistics. And then of course my overactive brain thinks about like, well, what diseases am I going to bring back and introduce to, you know, <laughs> a so, time that wasn't capable of handling. So no, I would stay not, there. Not, and so if, if any of you have a good lead on a time machine, <laughs> definitely get in touch. Right. Right. And you can, you can come with. Well, I, yeah, I would have to really think about all these other things that, you know, my overactive brain considers. So, but great question. Probably most days as far as what Jeff said. What else did, did Jed ask that Uh, we're going to talk about in future episodes? Yeah. So one of the ones he asked that I would really love to do an episode on. So I'm going to work on finding someone to chat about this is how complex are orca communications? Is each call a paragraph of info or a word? And I wish we knew. Um, I'm sure there's someone that can like talk more about this, maybe not like answer that specifically, but um, you know, it's pretty complex. I think, you know, yeah, I think we want to do an entire episode about um, acoustics and vocals. And yeah, because Olivia also asked a great question. She has been asking this of me for quite a while and, and I've, not follow through. So Olivia, this is your promise that I will follow through with learning about orca hearing. So we'll kind of maybe tie those two in together about orca hearing, orca acoustics, and chat about on the that chat about that on a future episode. I'll put that together. So we do know their hearing is incredible. And I just this is a little bit of a spoiler for the upcoming uh, for the recent sightings. Just as an example of how great their hearing is, we were on Sunday, we were with the T-18s and they were probably three or four miles away from another group of killer whales. That we didn't know were there. That we did not know were there. They were moving away from them, opposite direction. And all of a sudden they turned and started hightailing it towards the other group. That other group was on a stellar sea lion hunt. And so whether that other group called the T-18s or whether the T-18s heard the hunt going on, mm-hmm. we were three, four miles away from them. 
I mean, can you imagine being engaged as a like a killer whale in a sea lion hunt? And let's just, I mean, I know we're going to talk about this, but I just, since you broke off on this tangent, I'm going to blame you. Uh, imagine being T30B with this brand new baby infant um, at your side and right in the midst of it and like making goes of this adult sea lion, keeping the baby on the outside of you uh, from where the sea lion is because you're right in there. And then being aware enough while you're doing all of this to say, oh, yeah, four miles away, there's a party of four. Come hey, guys, in. come on in and, yeah. and, and lend us a hand. And I don't, you know, we don't know, obviously, if they right. were called or right. if they heard it, but it's amazing. It shows how how great their hearing is and how good listeners they are that they could hear what's going on three or four miles away. And I don't even hear Sarah who's sitting next to me. <laughs> <laughs> that was nice. That was great. Another question Jed asked, and I actually don't know the answer to this. I will try to find out, but we have a, a glib answer to uh, the deepest recorded dive of a killer whale in the Salish Sea could be resident or bigs. Uh, no more than fourteen. No more than fourteen hundred feet. feet. So that's the deepest point in the Salish Sea. So I actually don't know. Um, there is data. There, I mean, people have done studies and put you know suction cup tags on these whales to record depths. Um, I will have to look that up, Jed, because I I don't know off the top of my head. But I will bring that up in a future episode for you. All right. Another listener asked, "How often or?" Do you ever see bigs and southern residents in the same vicinity? We talked about this before the show. It really depends on how you're defining vicinity. If you're defining vicinity within acoustic range of each other. Very it, frequently. Very frequently. I think that, and that is true both in the inland waters and the coastal environment, probably up the entire west coast. I think the southern residents are almost almost every day in acoustic range of some group of bigs killer whales. That would be my guess. Yeah. And, and I should say when I say very frequently, I mean very frequently on days that we see Southern residents. So I, they're not here very frequently, but when we do see them, we would say that they're likely in acoustic range of, at of some bigs. point. Absolutely. Now, and one of those examples is almost every day last year when we saw Southern residents on our tours, which we only saw them Southern residents on 4% of our tours, which doesn't mean that they were only here 4% of the time, but those are the only days that we saw them on every, I think every single one of those, there may have been one that, that didn't, but we saw bigs also mm-hmm. on every single one of those days. Yeah. And we've seen them within half a mile of each other. And we've seen them very, very rarely. We'll see them, within a quarter mile. Yeah. Where there's kind of like a interaction going on. And typically it's the Southern residents driving the interaction. They're, they're usually, I don't want to say the aggressors, but they're usually the ones that are like pushing the bigs out of an area. Yeah. The bigs will, will will kind of avoid them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, They'll vacate the air, the, the immediate vicinity, but I have never seen like any physical. Yeah. I've heard a couple, you know, I don't, I, I've heard of a couple, but I haven't in, seen one myself. So probably the most famous one recorded was, I think, in 1993. I think it was 93. And it was T20 and T21 um, were 
chased by J-Pod and, you know, researchers that were on scene said they saw blood in the water, rake marks on T-20 and T-21. They lived, but they, you know, vacated the area with J-Pod in hot pursuit. And it was found later that J-Pod had a new calf, which um, was J-28 um, at the time. So J-5, Saratoga, J-17, Princess Angeline, and then J-28, the newborn calf at the time, Polaris, um, were back aways, and then the rest of the pod had pursued these bigs out of the area. I just, uh, this just triggered a memory for me from last season. I was not out on the water. I think you may have been, uh, but the 124A2s were up in the Strait of Georgia going towards Point Roberts, and they ended up like in literally in the middle of J-Pod, like not, not in close proximity, but they were surrounded by J-Pod. Were you out for that? No, but it actually (laughs) sparked another memory of a trip you and I had. Uh, This was several years ago, but it was in the Strait of Georgia, but it was on the Galliano shore, not Galliano, excuse me, Saturna Island shoreline, kind of right around the bell chains and the T-49As were going up. And J-Pod was coming down. And it's like when the T's heard, they went in tight to the rocks. And Mike, I think, and Blackberry maybe like buzzed right in close to them. And you could see the T's were like hugging the rocks. Yeah, I do remember that. So Intense. So the answer is, I mean, it, it's frequent. It's not like every day. Uh, but I think, I do think that the Southern residents are an acoustic range of big killer whales. Sure. All, uh, and probably other types of most killer whales days. too. And yeah. And offshores, like most, most days, um, especially when they're out on the outer coast, but in the inland waters, they're, they're very often in acoustic range of, of bigs. And just kind of avoiding each other. Yeah. But great question. Let's see the next question. So we got a few about ourselves and there were three that kind of all went into the same vein. So I'm going to read the three and then we can kind of talk about it okay. together. Uh, so one person asked, how did you both end up where you are today career-wise? Also love the podcast so much. Thank you. Uh, another person asked, Jeff and Sarah, if you weren't doing this for a job, what would you be doing? And the last person asked, um, as you made this shift uh, from, you know, one career to this, how did you get get here? What challenges did you face in that transition? Great questions. One, I'm going to go to the second one, which is what would you be doing if you weren't doing this? I would probably be crying a lot. Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> I don't know if, if I would still be doing what I was doing uh, before, which... I wouldn't. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I I probably would be because no I think I, I couldn't. I don't know if I would have had the the drive or passion to do anything else. I actually to change. I honestly like, and and I worry about this sometimes, but um, that's because I worry about everything all the time. But I honestly don't know that there's anything else that I would want to do. Um, if I wasn't doing this, I would just be a pretty sad, miserable human. I think there's nothing I would want to do other than this. Ever. Like involved with whales in some way, like educating that kind of thing. That's just what my passion is. It's what I love to do. And if I, now that I've done it, I don't think there's a way I could do anything else. Yeah. So I, I worked at a small, Happily. small software development company, uh, web-based software that I, I started with uh, two friends of mine that I grew up with that I've known since, uh, since like we were five years old. And I would probably just still be doing that. 
my this is where my passion was. I think they're better off that I'm not there. I think the the company is better off that I'm not there because uh, this is this is what I I love to do. Um, I enjoyed it. I had a, a we had a good time doing it. But I think that I'm better off and they're better off, and I'm still in touch with them. Yeah, on pretty much a weekly basis. That my friends, not the the company. <laughs> That's good. And as you were, you know, kind of making this change, you started out as a passenger. That's actually how we met. And I know we've talked about this in like maybe one of our first episodes is you and I met as passengers on Maya's Legacy. Yes. And it, uh, it is it's now over 10 years ago. Oh, yeah. Well, this is my 10th season. So who thought we did like 13 years ago. Here. I know. Well, and it's it's funny to me. I, I like it. I, I actually love it that most of us, uh, most of our crew started as passengers mm-hmm. with, with the company. And e- even some of the people that work in the office mm-hmm. started as passengers. It's, it's really cool. But yeah, we met before either one of us was here just as passengers. Yeah. Uh, had a mutual friend who told us that we were both on the same tour and we met and saw LPod. But I was just very, very passionate about about this. I loved whale watching. I loved the area. Uh, I was living in Cleveland, Ohio, and I could not find any whales there. And just, I was in the right place at the right time to come in and and be able to buy into the company uh, 10 years ago. And it was just, it was a very scary thing to do, even though I really wanted to do this. And I, I just, uh, I loved this so much and as right as it seemed making big changes in your life is scary. It is scary and it's difficult. It is incredible. The amount of how easy it is to just maintain the momentum of your life and how difficult and scary it is. Interrupt it. Absolutely. Even, even for something that you know is going to be incredible Mm -hmm. and, the amount of stress that I was, that I went through during the transition, like before I actually made the move, mm-hmm. I was having like crazy dreams every night. I literally, I had a dream that I wiped out life on earth. <laughs> like literally I had a, <laughs> that's terrible. It's terrible. I had a dream that I pushed this button and people were freaking <laughs> out that all the oxygen was going to be gone from the planet within the next 10 minutes. Oh, buddy. Yeah, I know. So the way I was able to do it, and this is like, I, I don't like to, like, I'm not a, a necessarily an advice kind of guy, but like, this is, this was really, really helpful. Um, and this is the number one thing that allowed me to make this change is early on when I was going through the stress and it didn't, it didn't, this did not alleviate Mm-mm. the stress or the anxiety or the challenges of making this change, but it did get me through to making the change happen is okay. All I have to do right now is the next step that's right Mm -hmm. in front of me. Um, whether it's like reviewing documents or checking something out or coming out here and looking at places to live, like just do that one next thing. Don't think about what's next. Don't look at the mountain. Just look at the path beneath your feet. Exactly. And it sounds cheesy, but it was the only way if I had kept looking at the big picture I would never have It seems insurmountable. Yeah. yeah. And and it's totally scary and it's much easier and and at that time I was I was living in very very stressful 
work environment, thing, things were, were tough. I wasn't enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there wasn't anything preventing me from doing this other than the incredible fear and stress of making changes in your life. And that I think that is a very human thing. And if I didn't just look at that next step, I, I probably would not be here today. Uh, and I did have some 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 people pushing me along at the right times. <laughs> a very important part of it. Yes. Well, I mean, it's always been a huge, you know, thing to kind of take that st- first step and and put yourself out there, at least for me, and I know for for you as well. So I was grew up around the Salish Sea. I grew up like learning about the whales and coming out here to the San Juan Islands. Ended up working in a corporate job as well as legal e-discovery. And I did that for 11 years. And for the last several years of it, I was also doing this with Maya's legacy. And I think it was actually, and I know we've talked about this on the podcast, so I'm going to be brief about it. But it was the first trip to the Silver Bank. It was our first trip to the Silver Bank. And you told me, you warned me, this is a life-changing thing. It is. And it was, and and we, and, and not in the way you necessarily nope. think it's going to be. Nope. But we uh, went on the trip, um, spent a couple de- extra days, and then uh, got to the airport in Puerto Plata to fly home. And I just sat there, cry- like bawling my eyes out. And Spencer was there, and he didn't. I don't think he really knew what to make of it. Like <laughs> he was like, "Rachel, take care of this," like in his really sweet Spencer way. But it was just like this realization that I had just done something profound and I'd been in the water with these amazing creatures that I loved and that I wanted to dedicate like all of my energy towards. And I had to go back to this corporate job that was essentially like sucking out my soul. So I had talked to many people, including your wife, Joelle, who's a wonderful advice giver um, and just like this really wonderful supportive human being. And... Within two months, I gave my notice. That was 2019. And and then COVID hit. And I was like, you know, if I can survive my first year not working a corporate job and just doing this in the middle of a lockdown, then I can make it happen. But it was really scary. And it was, you know, I didn't know how. I still sometimes don't know how I'm going to do it. But, I'm, you know, it's, it's happening doing it. regardless. Yeah, you're doing it. And, and it really is just that next step. And... When, when you're doing something that you're really passionate about and that uh, you, you just, you love doing every day, it, things just, it, you're always kind of in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. Like things, things happen to work out. Well, we're, we're getting a little deep for, <laughs> we are, and I hate talking about myself. So, but, the, but it's, this is good it's stuff. Good. It's, it's good, good. It's good stuff. And it, you know, we, I think that uh, every we're very fortunate to be where we are and do what we do. And that mm-hmm. does n- not get lost on us. Not a day not goes a, by when I'm not so appreciative and how much I love sharing the whales and wildlife mm-hmm. of this area with others. And I think just to kind of piggyback on that is I've talked to quite a few people who ask, how can I get involved? How can I be become a naturalist or how can I become uh, part of the whale community, and I just you know, or or they're in marine biology and they you know love killer whales or they love other you know other species, and they're told that you know 
don't go into that. There's already so many people doing it or don't do that because you won't make any money. Go into what you want to go into. Do it. Just do it. You know, the worst case scenario is that you'd end up doing something else, but at least you gave it a shot. Um, and if it's meant to happen, if it's something you're passionate about, you'll find a way. There are reasons not to do everything. Yeah. So do what you want to do. Yeah. So we're going to do some more uh, FAQs if you guys send more questions in. And uh, apologies to those questions we did not get to today. but like We are planning said, a second we, episode, we so we will get to your questions, but send in more. Uh, or you can get our Instagram, Facebook, and email off our website, afterthebreachpodcast.com. Uh, let's talk about latest sightings, and let's also mention our photo workshop in the fall in because we, yeah, yeah in, in August because we we do have space available for those. And if you've already signed up and you're waiting to hear from me next week, I know I've said this before, but I will be emailing you all next week with the forms and and all of that. But if you've reached out to me to sign up for a spot, you have one and I'll be reaching out to you next week. So yeah, so we have the photo workshop in August and then we have daily tours starting March 1st. Uh, but let's talk about speaking of daily tours. We had two tours this past week in our first two. Our kickoff for our the kickoff 2024 for, season. Yeah. And uh, had killer whales both days and really both two days of epic killer whales. Like what a mm-hmm. great start to the season. It really was. And beyond my expectations, for sure. I'm going to have to go back, but I'm pretty sure the T-18s are the whales that I see on my first trip of the year most times. Interesting. It's usually the go, T-18s. Yeah, go take a look and at I that. And I would say even in the last five years, I've had the T-18s with the two brothers, T-60D and T-60E. Interesting. I'm going to go back well, and look. So I have, I have noticed that 60D and E are... Uh, not like always, but they are frequent visitors to the T-18s. Mm-hmm. So on Saturday, we had the T-18s with T-60 D and E who are getting big. Huge. Uh, and it was, it, so we had six killer whales. So Started out as 10. It's, it was reported as 10, <laughs> but we had six. So we had the, the four killer whales in the T-18s and the two 60, D, 60 brothers, mm-hmm. D and E. But we spent the vast majority of the trip with T-19B, Galliano and T-60E. Lynx. Lynx. And it was, they were, the six whales were spread in. In like pairs. In three pairs. Yeah. Um, 60D or 60E and 19B were having a, a major, major bromance. <laughs> yeah, they were sure socially uh, engaged. Very. They were rolling all over each other and just oblivious to everything around them. They were they were trending west, but zigzagging like crazy because yeah, they they'd were stall so, out and yeah. then they'd like speed up and then they'd circle back and really short dives, like two minute dives, were their longest dives. Mm-hmm. And they would come up and they would be right next to each other, rolling on each other. I was I was trying to the lighting as Sarah mentioned earlier the <laughs> lighting was incredible and the Olympic Mountains in the background were absolutely beautiful and I was I was having a hard time positioning the boat I wanted to position the boat to get photos of the whales with the mountains and the lighting in the background and I'd been trying for I don't know 30 minutes and finally I, it wasn't that 
I couldn't do it. I just wasn't having luck right. doing it. It happens. They were zigzagging. And so I was just not like dialed into their zigzag. So I said, Sarah, why don't you grab the helm? And, uh, you know, why don't you see if, if you have better luck at, at getting this lined up? And she did. And how did that work out for you, Jeff? It worked out great. Cause I, I was not bitterly at all. <laughs> I was on the bow, uh, with my camera and she was at the helm and she positioned it perfectly with great lighting, the Olympic mountains in the background. And I got an awesome Galliano spy hop. Uh, <laughs> I was perfectly lined up for the photo and I could hear Sarah screaming at me from the helm. So when you look at that photo, I just want you to imagine me screaming at him in the background because <laughs> I was. And we, we left them and we spent a good amount of time with them. And those two boys were the entire trip. They were all over each other. Yeah. Just having so much fun. They're really social and they love physical contact. They'd love to hug if they could, but they don't have arms, so they roll all over each other. And you could totally see it. There was no rolling on Sunday. No. So Sunday, uh, I mentioned earlier, we had the 18s again. 60 D&E weren't with them. They were off of Victoria. So they were probably 15 miles away by, at that point. Yeah, easily 15. Yep. Uh, and then the, 16, uh, the 18s led us to the 30 B's and the 117 B's mm-hmm. uh, brand new calf in the 30 B's. Yeah. Her third. And was there a calf with the 117 B's? Does she have a new one? Or it's young it's one? her first. Her yeah. First? Born, la- born last year. Okay. Yep. Uh, and so the 18s joined up with them. And when we, when the 18s led us to them, there was already a sea lion hunt in progress. Yeah. So they made this huge turn and I, uh, remember looking at you and going, Jeff, maybe they're about to meet up with someone. Right. Cause they made a turn and they, and picked they, up the they speed. were doing like two and a half knots, just a slow travel yeah. North. And then all of a sudden it was an instant about face. All four of them. It was a home. hard turn. It hard wasn't turn. like a little turn. Right. It was a hard turn and then a speed up to 10 knots. Yep. So as we're cruising with them, uh, I looked up ahead and I could see the sailboat in the distance, like kind of up towards the Salt Spring Island shoreline. And and then all of a sudden I saw this huge splash next to it. And I was like, oh yeah, we got more, we got more whales. And, and you did call it. You said, I think there are more whales up ahead. And that was way before we could yeah. see anything. So we got up there and, and it was a little tough at first to kind of figure out who we had because it was chaos. Like Total chaos. The whales were everywhere and they would move off and come back in and they would be uh, not very consistent in their surfacing. Like they'd come up once and then they'd come up in a random area we don't get a lot of stellar sea lion hunts i mean you have to it it's like everything else you right place right time right but when we do get them they're very dramatic and they can last a long time like that well this one we were there for an hour and a half and we left and that sea lion was still going strong very strong um he actually came by the boat at one point we were we were staying pretty far off most of the time because yeah, we were close to three hundred yards, and like everybody went down, the whales went down, the sea lion went down, and then all and of a sudden it was like well, there yeah, was the sea lion next like to us, right next to us. So yeah, we were staying two fifty to three hundred off because the the whales were taking shifts going in and attacking the sea lion. Sometimes 
they would all pause and take a break. And this was going on for an hour and a half. And when they would move away, they would move a, a pretty decent distance. Right. And it was always, they were always moving off in uh, a, like one of two directions, mm-hmm. um, one or two directions. So we were staying in the opposite direction and we were, and the sea lion was also moving around when they were taking a right. break. And so we, I wanted to stay far off so that like, I didn't want to get into that mix. No, we don't want to in, interfere or impact the hunt in any way. Right. And my feeling was if we get to 200, you know, I don't want to be 200 and have them swim towards us and then have to back out of right. there. I want to just be able to sit there. I was turning the engines off a lot just yeah. so we could hear the exhales and hear the splashing mm-hmm. of them, you know, breaching on top of the sea line. Sure. And I was at the helm and this was all going on on the port side. And I heard an exhale on the starboard side and I thought it was one of the whales. Yeah, and, I did too at first. It and, was so like percussive. Yeah. I thought one of the whales, because the whales had been down for a while and I thought one, they must've come over underwater and one of them surfaced and then somebody at the certain screen, the sea lion's right here. Yep. And that, that was, uh, and he, he swam around the boat a couple times, kind of looking, looking for, at our wind open windows. Yeah. Looking for, for refuge and, and, and didn't obviously didn't find it. Didn't find it. Close N- the windows just to make sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean, encourage any, you don't want a 2,500 pound sea lion with sharp teeth and claws and lots of adrenaline going, jumping yeah, on the boat. No. Uh, but he, this was incre- incredible because it had been an hour and a half and he, had, I mean, who knows? I'm sure he had some internal injuries, but he wasn't slow. He wasn't missing like, any Yeah, yeah there, was, there was no, no blood, no, no like uh, rake marks. Uh, he, he was like, you wouldn't, if you saw Not him, you could see, yeah, yeah. if you saw him swimming, you would think, you would think, yeah. oh, yeah. here's a stellar sea lion. Yeah. There were a few, it was interesting because we obviously saw that towards the end. And once he um, dropped back, we actually safely maneuvered away and the whales continued what they were doing um, just to kind of round out that, that part of it. But uh, when we first got on scene and they were, you know, making lunges at the sea lion, there was actually blood in the water. Uh, I got a few photos where with the splash, there was some blood in the water. So, but he looked pretty whole and hale uh, for a sea lion that had been, I mean, we don't even know how long they were going at it before we before, got that, there. That's so. the thing. We were there for an hour and a half. We were waiting for another boat to come out, so we were holding coverage. Mm-hmm. And but we we got there. The hunt was in fu- was full. Oh on. yeah, yeah. And then shortly after um, the sea lion uh, left us alone, we had to leave. Yeah. And he was still going, you know, going strong. And so who knows how long that went on and how it ended. How it ended. I, I mean, you never know. This could have been partly a training session with the, the kids. Maybe at some point they, they left. We have seen some sea lion hunts where the sea lions get close enough to a shoreline and they end up making it out of the water. Uh, we have no idea how long that lasted. It could have lasted all through the night. But probably not. But probably not. But <laughs> it, 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 it was definitely going on before we got there and it was definitely going on after yeah. we left. Yeah. Uh, and so those those hunts are really special to see, mm-hmm. uh, and and they are very very active. And we'll post some photos from that on our show in the show notes. In the show notes, and we also uh, you posted some great photos on Facebook. And 
I don't think it's up yet, but if you're not following Orca Behavior Institute on Facebook, um, Jason was on board and was taking some videos, so I think he'll be posting a video of that at some point. Yeah, I can't wait to see his video. He's amazing. Yeah. Amazing, so. So we're off to a great start. Uh, We have trips coming up this weekend. Yeah, we have a trip on Friday and Saturday right now. This will probably be uh, posted after those trips. True. Uh, so but, we had it. We had a trip this past. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so yeah, and and we're gonna be running hopefully every day, uh, s- starting soon. March first yeah. is coming quick. It is, and uh, we do have one single uh, space left on our Silverbank trip for next next year, uh, February fifteenth through twenty sixth, twenty second. Yeah, single female um, share. So if any of you are looking to kind of have a, a cool little whale vacation um, and are interested, let us know. We would love to have you. Awesome. Well, we will talk to you guys soon. Thanks for joining in. Stay safe out there. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of After the Breach Podcast. If you've enjoyed it and want to help us out, please share this with your friends, family, and any other whale-loving folks you can think of. We would also love to hear your feedback, so please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have topics you're interested in and would like to hear on the show, please send us an email. We'd love to hear your thoughts. You can find us on Instagram as at After the Breach and on Facebook as After the Breach Podcast. And if you'd like to go whale watching with us, then come on up to San Juan Island, Washington State. We run tours with Maya's Legacy Whale Watching, departing just steps away from the ferry landing in beautiful downtown Friday Harbor. It's a great destination for a day trip or multiple days and offers some of the best whale and wildlife viewing in the world. We would love to take you out on the water to see the amazing whales we talk about on our podcast. You can book a tour through the company website at www.sjiwhalewatch.com and make sure to mention you're a podcast listener when you book. Thanks again for listening and remember, stay safe out there.